Shadow and Bone, and you're to blame. Welcome to yeah. our series on Shadow and Bone. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Oh no! I just lost half nice. our viewers. That's no, cool. that's such a great, that's such a great song. <laughs> that should have been the theme song for the series for the TV show. <laughs> oh my gosh, missed opportunity. That's <laughs> literally how I teach all of my classes as I sing songs about the different topics. But yeah, anyway. Hello, <laughs> yeah. welcome to like Marshall two. Erickson. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Pop DNA. Um, Hello. How are you, listeners? I feel like we don't ever ask our listeners how they are. Yeah. But how are you? We hope you're well. I hope. I hope you're well. Yes. Um. Yes. We are in part three. Part three. Part three. Um. Of our Shadow and Bone series. Yeah. And you know this is going to be an interesting ride and last episode we got <laughs> we got pretty tragic we talked about history um and history is tragic history is horrible much um, of it is <laughs> we talked about how ravka is not russia no it is not no it is not and then we also talked about how growing up within like directly being directly related to a conflict and a war is just generally super detrimental. So there you yeah. go. Especially to children. So especially. Yes. <laughs> so that's great. Um <laughs> yeah. 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 Um so I wanted to talk about just one more aspect of the world of the Grishaverse that Lee Bardugo created. Um, because I think this is something that that we don't really explicitly see like a lot of a lot of how this element influences the characters like in the books, but I think it's kind of hovering in the background and it's one of those things that kind of like helps to fill out the world and make it you know feel like a real place with rich history and culture and that is the religion in Ravka um so religion is super fun I love talking about it um (laughs) the belief system like you said the belief system makes it so real yeah 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 and I think it's it's really interesting too because I don't think that in the books we ever really get like a full breakdown explanation. Here is the religion, and here is right. what what the beliefs are. You know, um, yeah. it's just kind of assumed that it's part of the world and part of the characters' lives. So, um, which I found a really interesting way to 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 use religion. In a fantasy world. Uh, so uh, I, like you, Aaron, um, went to the Grishaverse fandom wiki. It's a good one. To learn about the religion. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there's not much on there because, as I said, like, we aren't given a ton of information about the religion. Right. Um, and it doesn't, in fact, it doesn't even have, like, an official name. It's just... This is the religion that everyone 
believes in. Yeah. Uh, so according to the wiki, um, <laughs> the Ravkin religion, although org- although organized, does not appear to have an official name and lacks a central deity, mainly relying on the worship of saints. It is sometimes referred to as the Ravkin church or the worship of the saints. Um, the worship of the saints is older than Ravka itself. Yaramir Lanstav, the first king who united Ravka, enlisted the help of monks, founded the first altar and the priest guard, led by the operat, and established Ravka's state religion. The royal chapel in Os Alta is believed to be built on top of the site of Ravka's first altar. Um, it's also noted in the wiki that um, worshippers of the Ravkin religion are, have been persecuted in Fjorda, which Fjorda comes into other, um, other parts of this universe. There's a note on the page that despite terms and organizations such as churches, saints, monks, etc., Libardugo has said that the Ravkin religion is closer, closer to Slavic paganism than Christianity. Um, and there's no Christ equivalent in this world. Okay. So, yeah. So I wanted to 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 learn a little bit more about this um, because um, Bardugo herself is Jewish, and I think while we do see a somewhat of a Jewish influence in both the books and the show, I think that it's less tied to the Jewish religion. And more to kind of Jewish culture and history as, you know, as as like a Jewish ethnic group. Right. Um, and I don't know if Bardugo, her, Bardugo herself actively practices Judaism or not, uh, but I don't think that it I don't think that that really matters because, you know, kind of having that as part of her identity and her culture that she was born into, even if she doesn't actively practice the religion that's certainly going to inform her worldview and her experience of religion in general. Yeah. In that same um, Atlantic article from 2012 that I referenced in, uh, in part one, I think, um, she uh, talks about how being Jewish informed a lot of her research. Um, She says, as a Jew researching Russia, a lot of issues come up. There's a kind of fundamental alienation of reading Russian history as a Jew. And I didn't want to get heavily into that. Um, She says, I never get specifically into Christianity. That was really important to me. There is no Christ in this world. The religion that is in the world is much closer to the kind of pagan tradition that was in Russia pre-Christianity, and even that grew out of the influence of Christianity, but that couldn't tamp down these local mythologies. Yeah. Which I find that a really interesting idea, too. Um, but it's interesting that she mentions that there's no, like, Christ or Messiah figure in the religion practiced by the Ravkins, because, like, the idea of a Christ figure, like a chosen one, is so prevalent in a lot of fantasy, especially fantasy that's, you know, um, like informed by a Christian influenced worldview, even if it's, you know, like not even fantasy that is, you know, not explicitly Christian. A lot of Western fantasy is informed by Christianity in some way or another. Yeah. Uh, But in Shadow and Bone, 
we do have a chosen one figure, like a you know unique destined figure yeah. in Alina herself. So uh, I think that's interesting that the religion doesn't have a, a chosen one, but the world does. <laughs> um, yeah, if that makes sense. Totally. In uh, I also found this really great article about. Um, specifically about the TV series and kind of the the Jewish um, threads of influence that we see in the TV series. Um, so this is by A.R. Vishni um, for the site Alma. So they said, while Bardugo is far from the only Jewish author currently writing fantasy, she is among the few to achieve the kind of mainstream commercial success that leads to Netflix adaptations and bestseller lists. After all, much of modern genre fantasy is decidedly Christian. The canon texts relied heavily on Christian metaphor and world building and anti-Semitic allegory to boot. Which that's very important to note. Um, yeah. If we look at, you know, kind of these fantasy classics, a lot of them do have you know, not just anti-Semitism, but like implicit racism. Yeah. Sexism. Yeah. This article goes on to talk about how the show incorporates um, a distinctly Jewish lens is the words that they use um, into its vision of who the Grisha are and what their service in the Ravkin army signifies. Um, Bardugo said that the Grisha represent the Jewish brain trust that developed before World War II and after World War II in the United States. Right. It says there are these very talented people that were drawn from all over the world and cast out of places, persecuted, put to death, put in camps. But they all ended up in this one place, and for better or for worse, they helped develop weapons and became a kind of this says a brainy fighting force for the allied powers wow yeah um and so for so for bardugo what is jewish about this whole story and this whole world is the way that the grisha are persecuted within the world but then they're also kind of this group who is like a great asset for for this country that sees the value in their power, um, which I think is also very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then one more thing that I wanted to highlight about religion, um, specifically in the TV series, because I think we get a little bit more, a little bit more exploration in the TV show, just because it has a little bit more scope than the book does. Um, but this was actually um, a scene that was deleted from, from the TV series, but I thought it was interesting to note when talking about the religion in the world. Um, so the, uh, the the executive producer, Heiserer, Eric, Eric, yeah, Eric Heiserer, um, talks about this, this scene that they had, to, that they had to delete for whatever reason. Um, but it's, like later on in the season when Alina is on the run from the Darkling um, and she um, takes refuge in this church 
And um, he says, um, everyone's praying for Sancta Elena to come and save them and get rid of the fold. And the art on the walls is of a blonde, blue-eyed saint. None of them have been to the little palace or seen Elena. And she's <laughs> so like she's trying to like take refuge in this pew. And the priest comes over and and is like, get out of here. <laughs> he's like, um, yeah. and he shoves her out. Right after kind of, you know, praising Sancta Elena, the sun summoner, um, which is like yeah. just kind of shows like the religious hypocrisy of of this sure. religion. Um, and it's interesting that it didn't make it didn't make the cut in the show, because I think that would have added a lot to um, to our perception of this religion, because um, yeah. it's kind of I don't know that like. I don't know that the religion is ever like Alina questions, you know, the, the idea of like being worshiped as a saint, but I yeah. don't know that the religion in general is ever really seriously questioned in that way. Um, so I think that could have added some, some depth to that. Yeah. The only part I can think of is when the apparat is just a decidedly like creepy guy and he's kind right. of yeah. the way we learn about it a little. Yeah. And then um, I did want to at least touch on, I don't, um, I don't really, you know, have the, the expertise or the bandwidth. I can recommend a couple resources if you're interested in learning more about this, but I did want to touch on how the show introduces race and racial prejudice as an element in Alina's experience. You know, I think in the books, um, she's she's described in a way that would lead us to assume that she is white. Um, but and then, of course, in the show, they cast a, a Chinese British actress to play Alina, um, and she's amazing. But then that kind of introduces this idea in the show that Alina experiences racism in her everyday life. Um, yeah, I can definitely recommend a couple of, of resources for anyone who wants to dive into that a little bit more. And I don't have them in front of me right now. So what I will do is I will edit in. <laughs> yeah. I'll edit in my list of resources right here. Okay. <laughs> Hello, friends. Editing Rhonda here. I just wanted to recommend a video by the YouTuber named Sosteen called Shadow and Bone Review Racial Integration Done Right. I believe it's from May of 2021. Sosteen is a historical costumer, and in this video, she talks with three other fellow Asian historical costumers, uh, Erica Alamode, Nikki Leem, and Nami Sparrow, about the Asian representation and racial issues as seen in the Netflix series Shadow and Bone. It's a really great and insightful and thought-provoking look at the series, so go check that out. I will add a link to our Instagram bio so you can find it there. I also wanted to make a slight correction to something that I mentioned earlier. Jesse May Lee, the actor who plays Alina on the series, 
is biracial and gender nonconforming using the pronouns she and they. Okay, now back to the episode. Yeah, so go check those out. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to check out those resources as well. Yeah. Um I don't want to I mean fatal duos is hard to mm. talk about. I don't But you know what? You know what? We can make it fun. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm going to put another content warning here. Um if the idea of a potentially toxic or even abusive relationship is something that feels like too heavy or or triggering or anything um again with love and understanding um I'm gonna say maybe sit this one out just because that's a really heavy subject and can be really really triggering so just wanted to put that out there um so I think as I was reading um, this trilogy, I couldn't get around the toxic relationships that I was seeing. I really <laughs> was was taken just first by, you know, how the Darkling treats Alina and then even how Mal and Alina treat each other um, felt really toxic to me. So, um, and there's a bunch of psychology that centers around... Um, kind of how we cling to people who are being uh, abusive and who are acting mm-hmm. in abusive ways. And that's something we definitely see with the darkling in Alina, his, his fascination with her and her fascination with him, um, especially towards the third book when we know he's evil and she's still drawn to him and she's still, I mean, the, the magic is described as her being a part of him and they visit each other and they, they even kind of engage in some, you know, physical acts together that are very exciting to both of them and also very detrimental and toxic. So I just wanted to make space for that. And I think oftentimes these partnerships happen when the individuals have been brought up in a world of danger, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. the darkling takes her in the darkling really says I understand you no one else is going to understand you but me because we have the same power within us let's bond together and then they get into a really toxic thing with each other um, that they both feel kind of like connected by and drawn to even though it's deeply toxic Um, so I just had to say that I couldn't talk about shadow and bone Mm -hmm. without bringing that one up um, I think you also see it with Mal and Alina, how they are so connected to each other. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel healthy to me. I wish that they would both give themselves room to breathe a little yeah. bit in a, in a much different way. So the Darkling and Alina is what I talk about when I talk about a toxic relationship. That's very sure. different, an abusive one. But then there's Mal and Alina who like depend on one another but Mm -hmm. I wish that they had the means to develop individually without that being sorrowful so right yeah throughout the book as Alina develops as a as a young woman and as a magical entity and as you know to some as a saint she is dependent on Mal's kind of vision of her 
um, in a yeah. way that doesn't feel very healthy to me. And in a way I wish, or like in Siege and Storm, she exits the palace. She goes off to discover on her own. And then the first thing that she does is run into Mal and they connect <laughs> to each other even more. And I just really wish that she had been given the means to like explore herself on her own and privately um, a little bit more. Right. And not to say that there isn't, like, I was crying in the last part of the book when they're, like, when Mal and Alina are so connected. And so, like, that's where they've matured a little bit more and the love feels a little bit more, do I want to say real? It feels more, <laughs> like... Grounded. Grounded. That's a yeah. good word for it. Yeah. It feels yeah more more grounded in the third, third book. Grounded with respect. Like, I think... Mm -hmm. In the first two books, Alina kind of, and again, we get all of this from Alina's point of view, and we find out that Mal has respected her this whole time. But the 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 discussion that's going on in Alina's head is often, am I good enough? Um, mm -hmm. Which just kind of broke my heart for her. And again, that's... That's a danger, not even a danger. That's a that's a side effect of having a point of view character um, who's talking about about like relationships and romantic right. love and things like that. Because and it's almost it's almost an unreliable narrator because yeah. I think because Alina is so kind of insecure and I mean insecure in at least when it comes to like Mal and his and his you know how like his feelings for her she's very insecure about that and yeah. so I think and and like in some other things too which I mean Alina is what 16 17 years old so yeah. like that is very true to life um of course that you know when you're that age like you don't fully understand you don't you know you don't like you literally don't have the brain development to yeah. see you know, the bigger picture in a lot of ways. And so yeah. like that's, that's the limitation of having a character in that, in that headspace, in that developmental stage as your only POV character. Like yeah. that's, that's kind of, you know, that's going to be a side effect is that you, you miss so much of what other characters are thinking um, other characters' motivations because you're only seeing them through the lens of this one person who does not have, you know, does not have nearly the the full in story or information. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's and why, that's also kind of why I get, like, a little defensive when people complain about, like, the first, like, that, you know, those that trilogy um when they're like like the shadow and bone trilogy is terrible because like alina is so is like the worst character i'm like no no, no. you can <laughs> she's 16 years old and this is like a you know, true to life portrayal of how you know a 16 year old would tell their story so well especially one who never felt love or belonging you yeah. know like yeah she didn't get the luxury of self-confidence, you know, right. like, um, and she's receiving these signals from Mal, who is a 16 year old boy who never got uh -huh. security. Yeah. And it's so it's like, how, 
how could they have ever like felt any differently or acted any differently and how could they have ever not um hyper bonded to each other uh-huh. you know of course they would they've known each other since they were like young children they grew up together they basically grew up like siblings so yeah they're yeah they're linked so yeah just just thinking about how we <laughs> link to people who are our safety net you know that kind mm-hmm. of it's just an interesting an interesting ride with the two of them yeah and then I don't know, moving to a few other fatal duos here. And like, again, I don't think of Mal and Alina as a fatal duo, but I did want to talk about that psychology of like, you're my safety blanket and I need you, that kind of thing um, that she works through. And that is so relatable. I think it's also important to contrast Mal and Alina's relationship with Alina's relationship with the Darkling because they're with mal and alina they only ever make choices to like they only ever think about the other person when they're making decisions right um and and it's and it's an equal partnership in that way whereas from the beginning the darkling was intending to take advantage of alina yeah in every way possible so like it was never going to be you know, an equal, healthy partnership. No. Of course, Alina Alina doesn't know that from the beginning, but that's, yeah. you know, as we find out, that, that was the case from the beginning. So he's just... <laughs> very he's different. such a predator. Oh, it just yeah. makes me so uncomfortable. I Wow. Like, and like, just the stuff too with the amplifiers and those implications, just there's so much there that like go into it and read about it and it's a lot um if you want to know more research it because it's a it's a big heavy thing that I don't really want to talk about because <laughs> it's sure. already been sad <laughs> enough but um yeah just abusive relationships and Alina and Darkling are just wow 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 um if you want to talk about another really <laughs> really abusive relationship you get Griffith and Guts from Berserk if you've ever seen Berserk Oh my gosh, that I did, it's no, all I haven't. <laughs> it's almost entire. It's like if you want to do a deep dive on toxic relationships with no happiness ah. ever, go to Berserk. Okay, love that. So, in the same way, the character of Griffith, um, you can say grooms. The character of Griffith grooms guts, and they rely on each other in the same way that the Darkling tries to conquer Alina. Um, so that's heavy and awful and it's out there now and then you have um Yennefer and Geralt who I to a lesser degree I just don't think like I think sometimes they rely on each other too much um a little bit sometimes their love is incredible and beautiful and sometimes it's a little bit too much and yeah, you had one that you added here. I like, Who did you I like talk on your about? list. On your list, you have that one video game that I can't think of the name of. <laughs> I never thought of the name of it. You so never thought of it. Nope. <laughs> uh, great. What I about, tried. Um, what uh, What is Death Note? Okay, so I've seen the movie of Death Note, but I don't like know anything else about it. I actually no longer agree that this fits here. Death Note is okay. really good, but it doesn't okay. fit here. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I did, <laughs> I did add a duo on here and I actually would not say that they're a fatal duo, but they are a fated duo. Yes. Perhaps. Um, and that is of course the force dyad of Ray and Ben Solo from the motion picture series, Star Wars. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so y'all know if, if I haven't stated it outright, you've probably gathered, I am a huge Raylo. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, girls with sabers, we've had, yes. we've collaborated with them and they're like straight up Raylo podcast. So, we um, love them. Yeah. if you hadn't deduced it from that, yeah. I don't know what you were thinking. So I think it's interesting because like in a lot of conversations about Raylo, you get this idea that like, oh, this is a toxic relationship um, because like they're they're trying to kill each other for, you know, like two movies ish. Um, yeah. And but and like seeing them as a romantic couple is like that's, you know, that's toxic or whatever. But I think that like this is kind of like we're so like I think people want to see Raylo as Alina and the Darkling but really Raylo uh, is more like Mal and Alina um because right. it's these two uh these two people who are like linked by um by well by the force but you know they're linked by a, an element that they don't fully understand kind of like Mal and Alina how they're linked you know from childhood and they're really two two equal sides of the same for lack of a better word force um (laughs) (laughs) um, I think if you want to if you want to talk about like a more more a more more closer a closer parallel to (laughs) um Alina and the Darkling then you could talk about Rey and Kylo Ren because of course Kylo Ren and Ben Solo are two different identities so right if yeah but anyway that's yeah that's Raylo folks yeah that, that should be a shirt. That's Raylo, folks. And that's Raylo, uh, folks. folks. I'll tell girls with sabers. <laughs> I'll give them that. <laughs> that's Raylo, folks. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Rhonda, is, I'm is so. This, is this? What are we? Wait, next week. Yeah. What are? Are you excited for something? <laughs> I'm so excited for for something that's happening next week in the world uh-huh. of our podcast. What is it? And, of course, it's our discussion with the fictional Hangover podcast. Woo-hoo! I'm so excited. Ugh. And we we get to kind of deep dive into the books specifically, which, you know, we've been talking about. I don't think we've really, like, it's not noticeable whether we're talking about the TV series or the books for the rest of the series. But I think specifically next episode is, is a deep dive into the books, yes, which will be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've been wanting to collaborate with Fictional Hangover for, like, ever. Yeah. Because we think they're super cool. Yeah. Um, And I think this was, like, the perfect opportunity because they are the experts on YA fiction. Absolutely. We got to get them on board here. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm excited. So join us next week. Yeah. 
Um, it always makes me laugh how like this episode is so much shorter than the other. Uh huh. That's okay. That's yeah. Fine. That's good. Yeah. This is a really interesting whole world. Like the Grisha verse yes. is just there's so much there. There is. We could we could do another four episodes. I'm yeah. And not run out of things to talk about. There's things we haven't even like like scratched the surface on. You know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, find us on Instagram because we post things on there. We have the Instagram posts if you would like them, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, send us send us a message or or comment or send us a, a voice voice yeah. message because yeah, we wanna we wanna hear from you folks. What do you what do you think? If there's other duos, let us know. If there's other books or stories that kind of remind you of this um, and this these relationships, is how you remind me of where I really am. Did you just say fish and chips? No. Oh, I thought you said fish and chips. I must be hungry. Um, Ooh, okay. Fish and chips sound good though. Right. I, th- I said relationships. Oh, okay. Relationships, fish and chips. Okay. I would far rather talk about fish and chips than relationships. Um, but <laughs> all right, folks. Um, <laughs> that's Raylo, folks. Um, we- <laughs> all right, we um, will uh, catch you next week for yeah. fictional hangover. Woo. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye.